Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Don't Tell Me The Score, the podcast that uses sport to explore life's bigger questions. My name is Simon Mundy, and each week I sit down with an expert from the biggest sporting names in the world to Buddhist monks, neuroscientists, psychologists, and philosophers. We discuss a theme that tells us something insightful and important about life and how best to live it. From the importance of self-acceptance to facing addiction and developing resilience, right through to getting your circadian rhythms in sync and how to sleep better. Sport is a metaphor for life. And in this podcast, I aim to prove that right. I always like hearing from you. So the best way to get in touch is via my website, simonmundy.com, or I'm at Simon Mundy on social media. In this episode, I'm talking to sports psychologist Helen Davis about beliefs. Morning, Helen. Good morning, Simon. How are you? Yeah, I'm on good form today, thank you. How about you? Am I on good form? I'm not sure. It's too early to say. We'll, we'll find out in due course. Lovely to chat to you. We've spoken plenty of times recently and our conversation is going to be somewhat linked to a previous podcast I did with uh, Lucy Gossage, who is a one of the most successful um, triathletes in the Ironman discipline over the last 10 years or so. And she has attributed much of her success to you. <laughs> Well, that's very, very kind. Um, but she she was a very good pupil, shall we say. She she worked very hard um, at sports psychology and um, it was great to see that it made such a difference to her. And we're going to dig into some of the stuff that you talk about with your various clients. And I think it's excellent, as you know, and um, I've dug into some of your resources. So you've got Iron Mind that you and Lucy have, have worked on together. So she's obviously such a huge believer in in the way that you've been able to help her that you now collaborate and we'll get into that later but before we sort of dig into your outlook your techniques your the way of looking at things the way you help people your story is fascinating and particularly salient as well for the time that we're in insofar as you are now a, a, a sports psychologist but you weren't always so were you Yes, so for 25 years I was a primary school teacher yeah, in primary education and in that time I had all kinds of jobs um, working with children from reception right the way through to year six. I had various different roles in the schools, um, you know, coordinators of different subjects, music, PE, history. Um, I, I did all sorts. Uh, I learned uh, to be very flexible being a teacher and it was a career that gave me an awful lot and that I really value to this day. So what then made you think, I've got another avenue I'd like to explore? Was it sort of a, a, 
an itch that you wanted to scratch? Was it uh, you, you felt like you'd done teaching and, and it had run its course? What was it that made you decide to to look in a different direction at, at a relatively advanced stage of life, if you don't mind me saying? <laughs> advanced, I like that word. <laughs> Um, yes, I, I think um, I kind of feel it, it, the starting point was I sort of fell into teaching, really. And I, do, I don't really feel that I had a lot of kind of discussions as a teenager about various job options that were available to me. And I wanted to remain at university doing a PGCE and becoming a teacher was a kind of a, an option that was available to me. So I just sort of fell into be, being a teacher. And then I started doing it and I really enjoyed it. And so I carried on. You know, over time, I suppose I began to feel like, what, what, what other jobs are there? And, you know, you meet people in life and you think, well, that's an interesting job. You know, what? how, how did they become one of those? And, and um, I started sort of really looking at other jobs that were out there and thinking, I, I've never considered that before. So I kind of got to the point where um, I've been teaching for a long time and I was definitely starting to feel it was getting me down a bit. I felt like I was... You know, I've been teaching maths and English for so long, day after day. Mm. And I always said I never wanted to become what I call a moany old teacher. Um, I'm sure many Are there a lot of them around? <laughs> many, many people, um, yeah, might resonate with that a bit. And, and I felt like I was becoming a moany old teacher a little bit. And I didn't like that feeling. Mm. So um, I, I guess I started over a number of kind of years thinking, well, what else is there for me? And to be honest, nothing ha happened for a long time. I didn't kind of have this kind of moment of, oh, yes, I want to do this. And it was really through through swimming and through sport that I, uh, of which, you know, I'm very passionate about and I've always swum myself, that I started to kind of really listen to people's views and uh, conversations that people had around their performance and I got very interested in in that and so it was kind of that that led me to a direction of thinking could I possibly do something within sport okay so you you were feeling a little jaded and then you were wondering what else there was out there and you noticed that you had this this interest in a specific area around the way people were thinking and talking to themselves and that kind of thing. And then you looked into the qualification. Is that a fair summary? Yes, that, that, that's right. Yes, I did. I, I Particularly um, with triathletes, you know, obviously you've got three disciplines in, in triathlon, you know, swimming, biking and running. And, I, and being a swimmer, I found it very interesting listening to a lot of triathletes talking about their swimming and how they spoke very differently about their swimming than they did about their biking and their running. And it just made me think, well, if they started speaking differently about their swimming, might it alter their performance? So I started, yeah, I, I mean, I got on the computer, I started Googling and saw that there was a, a master's in sport and exercise uh, psychology. Um, fortunately, it was distance learning. It was part time because due to my family situation and having three children, I needed to, um, an option that was very flexible for me. Mm. And I, I remember that day when I, I read about the course and I just had this feeling of excitement and I couldn't sort really? of put, put it away. I remember printing out the pieces of paper and having them on the side in my kitchen. And I kept looking at them thinking, I really like the sound of that. I think I'd like to do it. Were there doubts about taking the plunge? I was in my early 40s at the time and I did feel like, is this really a bit ridiculous, you know, to, to embark on something that I, I, you know, I don't really know very much about. I have to say that people around me were actually really, really encouraging. I think people could see that I was very excited about this as an option and all my kind of sporting friends they they completely you know told me to just go for it and have you filled out the form you know and I had all of that from them so I was very much encouraged and I was lucky that my family were very supportive as well um and I think that that helped me overcome my fears because I really I think my biggest fear was can I actually go back and study again having not written an essay for a very very long time a few people I know who've gone back into studying later in life remark that um, actually it, it's much easier because, you know, I know when I was at university or at school, the, the, what studying and learning and working wasn't top of my priority list. But as, as you sort of um, do get a little older, perhaps your priorities do shift. And anyone I know who's been through that say that the whole experience was was very different. So the years that you spent then i mean did they fly by or you know in hindsight was it um was it difficult to juggle everything 
Do you know, it was really difficult to juggle and everything, but the years did fly by. Um, and actually, when I look back on that time now, I, I've, I've really quite surprised myself that I managed it. I had, you know, as I said, I have three children and at the time they were going through GCSEs and A-levels. Um, so I had an awful lot going on sort of at home, as it were, and getting... And were you teaching it. as well at the same time, still doing a bit so, of teaching? Yes, I actually was part-time teaching and part-time studying. And I got a lot of my work done from about 4.30am in the morning. Having been a swimmer, I'm used to getting up early and training. It's what I've done throughout my teenage years. And I found that I got some really, you know, sort of good work and quality work done in that time when the family was still asleep and I could actually get some work done before I went to work at school. So it, it, it was it was tough. You know, I, um, I remember there were times where I just thought, I, I, you know, can I do this? Um, I had a, a really wobbly moment. Um, I remember sort of um, when I had to write, do my very, very first assignment. And I remember saying to my husband, I really don't think I can do this. You know, I had no benchmark. You know, I had no, I hadn't written an essay for so long. I had no idea if what I was writing was what they wanted. And um, it was very scary. Mm. A lot of people can resonate with that. I mean, as you know, I'm writing my first book currently. I've never done it before. And all I, I have these voices in my head going, this is nonsense, this is rubbish. But I suppose the work that you were doing, were was that helping you deal with those those thoughts of, I don't know what I'm up to and I don't know if I can manage this? Uh, yes, definitely. I mean, the, the, the skills that I learned on the course, I absolutely applied um, to, to, to my day to day. But I think also I was very driven by the fact that I was just enjoying doing what I was doing. And it was it was like a breath of fresh air for me. Um, suddenly I had this kind of new, exciting thing in my life, which was something which I think, you know, if you'd have asked me a few years ago, I would never have predicted that I would have been doing. So um, I, I, I really embraced it and was very enthused about it. So I, I wanted to get up at 4.30 in the morning. I was enjoying what I was learning. So um, it, it, it made it easier to manage. That's such a key sign, isn't it? I mean, um, early in, after I, I went traveling early and, and actually I took a couple of years out from some broadcasting. And when I got back into it, even though I had to take a big pay cut, this was in my early 20s, um, I, the feeling I got from having my ladder up against the right wall was it just told me that I had made the right decision. And mm. there's, there's something to be said for listening to that intuition, isn't there? Oh, definitely. I'm definitely somebody who's kind of followed my heart. Um, if I'm enthusiastic about something and I like talking about it, I, I, t I tend to know that that's important to me. So I've kind of used that as a kind of for guidance, I guess, moving forward. Um, I'm not somebody that sort of overthinks about things too much. I just think, right, that, yeah, I'm excited about it. I'm going to give it a go. Mm. If you're excited, yes. If you're not, you know, that's probably a sign. Um, I, interestingly, I've had a lot of people get in touch with me during lockdown who seem to be reappraising and thinking about their life their careers and these are people who listen to uh, the podcast through two friends of mine um a guy who i won't uh, name he's he's in banking and has been for um you know a couple of decades and he is obviously make a fantastic uh, living but he's in a similar age probably 40 something like that and has come to a point where he's thinking okay is this what i want to do you know, going forward. And it, my sense is that a lot of people have either by um, necessity, let's say they're being made redundant. Obviously, we know there's a lot of job losses, a lot of difficult stuff going on around this, but also through choice, a lot of people are reflecting and thinking, hang on, do I want to keep doing this job? Is it making me excited? Is it making me get up in the morning and, and, and look forward to the day? So as someone who, you know, made a, a difficult decision, and was spinning all sorts of family teaching and studying plates at the same time at an, you know, in your forties, what advice would you have or what words of wisdom would, would you have for anyone going through that kind of thought process at the moment? I, I think, um, you know, definitely to, to follow your enthusiasm and follow your heart. I, th I think that for me is, is, is very much, if you're excited about it, then listen to that voice that's going on inside your head. I think being a bit brave is another good thing to say as well, because I definitely felt brave uh, when I stepped into that room of um, psychologists on that very first day. And I, and I had real feelings of, is, should I really be doing this? You know, am I too old? All those kind of questions. And I think no one expect that all of those fears and doubts are going to be there. Mm -hmm. um, that, that 
you are going to have them and that's part of the process of trying to decide whether you whether you want to go for that or not and and also speak to supportive people around you you know p- people who can help you make decisions if you're finding it difficult and can offer advice and you know help you discover the qualities that you have and the characteristics that you have and and discuss whether you think that it really is the right avenue for you so i guess those three things i would say um and i would say also um yeah, take do take that step, and you know, you don't have to have a long term goal. I, I I really didn't know where being a sports psychologist would take me, and I didn't really think about that too much. I just kind of thought I'm going to enjoy learning while I'm learning, and just see where it takes me. And I still mm. actually that to this day, people do still say to me now, "Oh, where do where do you want to take your work? What do you want to do?" And I just say, "Well, I'm, I'm just kind of enjoying what I'm doing at the moment, and and that's fine for me." Yeah. Uh, d- you said there about imposter syndrome or alluded to it and and that's incredibly common and i think understanding that those feelings are going to come up and and they're normal to some degree but then also digging into the beliefs and we'll get into that in a bit and and also you're saying there about not necessarily having a long-term plan and for a long time i thought i was a bit of an odd one out in not having a five-year plan but actually uh, I spoke to David Epstein um, in a uh, episode of Don't Tell the Score a year or so ago, maybe, and and he spoke uh, about the value of sort of bobbing and weaving and following your heart and following, you know, following your passion and your excitement and seeing where it takes you rather than planning too far ahead. And you're obviously someone who who sort of uh, goes along with that that way of thinking as well. Yes, definitely. I, I've really learnt actually going through this process and possibly because I was balancing teaching and doing sports psychology at the same time, is that I kind of like having my hands in different pots and having kind of different things on the go. I actually really thrive on that. I like the variety of that. And so I, I would certainly say I've learned that through going through this process and that um, at times it can feel difficult to balance all of those pots, but um, actually it gives me a lot of kind of pleasure and satisfaction having the different things that are going on. So be brave, take a risk, get outside your comfort zone. I mean, I, it's rare that you hear someone who doesn't follow that path and it hasn't, they, they haven't looked back and thought, yes, I'm glad I do that. It's, it's that old saying, isn't it? You regret the things you, you don't do, not the other way around. Um, just before we get into the nuts and bolts of, of you know, how you help people, uh, have, what, what skills have you been able to take from teaching that's helped you in, in your new career, newer career? Gosh, um, so many. And, and, and it's funny, I, when I first became a sports psychologist, I, I remember thinking, oh, you know, it's so different to teaching and it's going to feel like a completely different career. And actually, I really value what teaching has given me now because psychology is kind of going on in teaching all of the time. You know, there's there's learning and communicating and listening and understanding and, you know, empathy, relationships. I could go on, you know, all, all those things are happening in the classroom and actually they're happening when I work with with athletes and teams and and coaches as well so um the, the links between between the two uh, I think actually came as a bit of a surprise to me and I feel um you know having been a teacher what I enjoyed about teaching was being creative in how I gave knowledge to people and worked with people and learned about the person and the relationship and what that child was like to how to help them the best and actually that's what I'm doing with athletes you know I'm I'm building a relationship with them I'm I'm learning what kind of person they are and then deciding upon a course of action to take with them that hopefully is going to support them based on the information that I've got from from you know, communicating and listening to that athlete. So the similarities really are, are, are quite great, really. And I, it's really made me actually look back at teaching through a different pair of eyes than I, than I did when I was going through it at the time. This is a point that David Epstein really emphasised, that if you do change careers or go on a different tack, you'll be surprised at how your skills are transferable and how taking um, the way you approach things in one one area, one industry can actually really help you in another, particularly in terms of of thinking outside the box and thinking a bit differently about about projects and approaches to things, uh, which is another reason not to look back and think, oh, I've wasted this time in one particular job and I want to get into another one. Actually, it may end up being really beneficial. 
Oh, absolutely. And I think never underestimate the skills that you already have and the work that you have already done right back to, you know, the the earliest memories that you have of jobs, whether that be a, you know, paper round or, um, you know, whatever that may be when you were, you know, 12, 13, 14, that, that actually all of those skills that you accrue over time can all help you in whatever you end up doing. And we never stop learning skills along the way, do we? Uh, right, let's fast forward. So you've you've graduated and you're into your career as a sports psychologist. As I said, how I came to know of your work and I'm a big fan of your work is through Lucy Gossage, um, in Iron Man. So just tell me how you how you sort of um, spotted what Lucy was doing in terms of the way she was talking to herself, and then let's get into the power of, of beliefs, self-limiting beliefs and, and all that kind of stuff through that? Mm. Well, I, I met Lucy at Cambridge Triathlon Club. Um, she was training there um, in swimming, biking and running and I was uh, just training there in swimming. And uh, we, we, we swam regularly together and, and became friends um, and that continued for a period of time. And then when I started having, you know, um, doing my research into a different career, I talked to her along with other athletes as well about um, sports psychology and how it affected them and their performance. And listening to her, you know, she was, she, as she readily admits, swimming has always been her hardest discipline. And uh, she, you know, was extremely negative um, about her swimming and and felt that um, it was kind of the hardest bit of the triathlon. So we, we, we just had conversations over a period of time um, I talked to her a little bit about cognitive behaviour therapy, which I'd had some experience of um, sort of many years back in a job that I'd done. And uh, and she was very interested in it. And so th- those kind of conversations over brunch post-swimming training sparked um, the interest in me to kind of go down the sports psychology route, but also I think made her start to reflect on the way that she talked to herself about her, her swimming in particular and that and that sort of they, they, they kind of came together, I, I guess, a few years later when I um, had been you know, doing my qualifications. And I said to her, you know, is this something that you think you would like to to invest a bit of time in? You know, I, I'm looking for for people to um, you know, tr- try out my skills on. I'm looking for having feedback as a as a sports psychologist. And, um, you know, would you be willing to to talk to me about it and have some sessions? And she was really keen and it really started from there. So what sort of things did you notice that Lucy was saying to herself or critiquing herself unfairly on? Yeah, I think I think Lucy um particularly um very much felt that you know she didn't come from you know the t- traditional background of a sports person that you know as a teenager she was not sporty particularly she did a bit of sport but you know she wasn't particularly good at it. Um and the you know, there were definitely um, in those early conversations, um, she 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 sort of showed what I would call put down thinking, where she kind of didn't really believe that she was having a success that she was in triathlon. She always came up with a reason of why she was successful um, and why a certain outcome had occurred. Um, as if it was an external source that was giving her that rather than her and her ability. And so it was that really, those initial kind of conversations that we started to explore that more deeply and to look at what it was that Lucy was really saying to herself um, and how it was then maybe impacting her performance. And our beliefs can have a huge impact on our performance and the way we experience the world, can't they? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, they they are um, absolutely paramount in in how we kind of interpret the world around us, and uh, those beliefs can be, you know, if if they're kind of flexible beliefs and they're sort of non extremes beliefs, they they can be helpful towards us. But if our beliefs become, you know, kind of more rigid or more extreme, they can actually then become detrimental to us and our and our thinking and our behaviours. So learning about those beliefs and what we're actually telling ourselves is a, is a really um, useful tool for people to to start helping themselves in, in in ways that they want to if they've got um, issues or problems that they want to overcome. And you mentioned uh, CBT, so cognitive behavioural therapy, and there are lots of strands that fall under that. Yeah. And one we'll have a bit of a zoom in on is uh, REBT. And 
a guy called Albert Ellis. So can you just just give me a quick snapshot uh, of this? Um, and then also, can we just quickly discuss his quote, which I picked up, which was, be gentle with yourself while striving to do your best, which is, you know, really actually quite a profound comment if you sort of sit with it. But just explain him, his philosophy, and and a little bit about what REBT is. Yeah, so REBT or rational rational emotive behaviour therapy is a, you know, as you said, it comes under that kind of cognitive behaviour um, umbrella, and um, it's it's you know it's it's been used for many many years across sort of diverse clinical and non clinical you know populations, um, and that the the, the centre of it really is that irrational and rational beliefs are at the centre of this emotional and behaviour functionality. So. Um, what, what you teach people in, in REBT is that it's not events that are directly causing um, emotions and behaviours, but it's actually our beliefs that lead to emotional and behavioural reactions. Um, a lot of people sort of have that association of it's the event that's making me feel like this. But in REBT, it's saying that actually there's a, there's a belief behind that. And just kind of really briefly... Um, you know, um, irrational beliefs in REBT um, are kind of extreme and rigid, illogical beliefs, and they can lead to these dysfunctional emotions, whereas rational beliefs um, are preferences, they're non-extreme, they're much more flexible and logical, and that's what you're aiming for in REBT to try and help people to move from irrational beliefs to rational beliefs um, through a framework which REBT does. In sport, I have to say, actually, um, there, there is an approach called smarter thinking, which um, is kind of a, a phrase coined by um, some, some leading researchers. Uh, Dr. Martin Turner is one of them who um, do an awful lot of work in this area and are extremely knowledgeable um, in REBT. And, and, and smarter thinking in sport is kind of the, the, the term that I tend to use with people when I'm talking about it with them. So what you said there about understanding that it is not an event that causes people to feel a certain way, but it is people's belief about the event that causes them to to feel a certain way. Um, so, for example, that might be if someone says, you made me angry, <clears throat> actually, it, that person hasn't made them angry. It's a belief about something that person's done or said that that would be the case or if you said this event made me angry i don't know let's say you know there's a a, ra a, um, a round of redundancies going on at your work perhaps you're in line for it of course that's understandable that might make you feel that anxious but it's it's actually it's not the event itself it's the it's, it's not the ra round of redundancies that, that, that you're potentially facing that are making you feel anxious it's your belief about those round of redundancies with is are those two sort of fair fair examples yes yeah absolutely that it is it, it's the way that you you interpret it that that actually gives the feelings that you end the constant the emotional consequence that that ends up from that so how you view the situation um you know i think ellis says you know people are not disturbed by things but by the view that they take of it so it's the view that you take of that that, that gives you those emotions and it's the, what that quote that Shakespeare said, and that I'm sure few people have quoted on this podcast. There is no thing that is good or bad; only thinking makes it so. That's yes. definitely not the entirely accurate quote, but it's it's a, a variation on it. It's fairly accurate. So it is. It's understanding that events in in and of themselves are neutral. They have no. Um, emotional charge to them whatsoever it's literally the beliefs and perceptions we have about them and and how 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 common do you think it is that people understand that uh do you think i think it's um a lot of people have that what, what we call this a to c thinking that it is the event that's causing the emotional disturbance and actually you know people react in different ways to different situations. So therefore, there is something else that means that people react differently. And that's why it's beliefs. And when people can, can, can understand that and see that, they think, oh, yes, well, they, I view that very differently to, you know, the person sitting over there. And it's because of their belief systems as to why they, they think about it in a different way. So 
Um, I think understanding that in the first instance is, is can be really quite powerful because it's like, okay, well, if it's my belief that's making me feel the way that I am, which might be uncomfortable, it might be anxious, it might be angry, um, that, that it's actually my belief around that. And I can work to change that belief. And that's really powerful because it's saying that event could happen, but I could actually learn to respond in a different way. So it gives you a certain amount of con- a feeling of control, an internal sense of control. But also, I guess it means um, that, that it give, forces you to take responsibility as well. You can't blame how you feel on another person or indeed a, a specific event. It, it, it's understanding that, no, it's, it is your beliefs and they're, which are yours, and therefore they're your responsibility to do something about that is making you feel this way. So it gives you control, but also forces you to take responsibility. I, yeah, I think it's it, it's it's giving people a different way of looking at it, and it's a way that actually makes sense. Um, you know, you 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 can wish that somebody behaves in a certain way to you, but but you 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 can't make that person do it, and you can't demand it of that person. You know, I mean, if you're sitting here saying to yourself that I. I expect them to do that. Um, it's actually not going to help you in the long run, but accepting that, um, you know, that, that, that you don't have that control over somebody else can, can then be really helpful. You mentioned A to C thinking, and I know there's the A, B, C, D, E model. Can you just mm-hmm. uh, quickly explain what you mean by A to C thinking, the role B has in it, which is what we've touched on, and also the D and E, just a quick overview of, of this, this, uh, yeah, this so, model. Yeah, so just really, really briefly, um, the A, B, C, D, E is, is a really good framework because it's easy for people to remember. And as I mentioned to you before, it, it's, it's very much an approach that people hopefully can take away and learn for themselves. So it's easily memorable. So the A stands for adversity, which is or the activating event that can cause adversity, an event that happens or a situation that happens. The C, I'm going to mention next because I've talked about A to C thinking. The C is the consequence, the emotional consequence. And as I said, most people are A to C thinkers. So because this event has happened, I therefore feel like this as a result. So you then teach people that actually instead of thinking that you're an A to C thinker, that it's the B that sits between the A and the C that stands for beliefs. And the B is the belief behind what it is that you're thinking of. That belief is giving you the emotional consequence at C. And once you've established what that belief is uh, with somebody, you can then start to work on the D bit of the framework. And the D stands for disputing. And that's where you challenge and question your belief. And you do that through asking questions about logic and sense and evidence and realism and pragmatics and all of those things that can really challenge your belief and make you see the belief for what it is. And then through, um, you know, sessions with a client, you end up with the E part of the framework, which stands for kind of an effective new philosophy. So... That's where you're really hoping that the the more rational thinking, um, they can see that um, they can switch their thinking to more rational thinking and you can have a new philosophy that can hopefully move you forwards and take you in a different direction. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. So just to take a bit of an example, and correct me if I get any of this wrong. So let's take someone who has just been made redundant and they are feeling incredibly anxious and depressed. Mm-hmm. The more, I mean, obviously, it's understandable to have an emotional reaction to a difficult situation like that. But I'm talking about really, really feeling down about it. Mm-hmm. And so the, the being redundant would be the A, would be the activating event the feeling really down and anxious and depressed would be the C, the the emotional consequence. Mm-hmm. But the B, the beliefs might be things like, well, I'm worthless if I don't have a job or a role. And it might be things like, I won't be able to get another job. And you could even spiral that forward and be like, goodness, I'll end up out on the street and you know, my status is going to go down, all these kind of things. And it's those kind of unexamined beliefs, the B in, in that model, that are the ones that need the D, the disputing. That's right. So as, as you say, you know, it, it could be feeling this belief of, you know, I'm no good. Um, as you say, I, I am worthless. And, you know, when, when, you, when you have a belief like that, you know, you, you, you will see probably behaviours and thinking that kind of that, that go hand in hand with that belief. So, you know, it may be that um, this person's only seeing negative aspects of the loss that they are just thinking about other losses and failures that, that they have had um, in the past, um, thinking that they're unable to help themselves, um, that they can only kind of see, you know, pain in the future and they might then withdraw from help, they might withdraw from support um, and or even, you know, kind of create an environment that's kind of consistent with that I'm no good belief. So, you know, working with somebody through the ABCDE framework is is looking at that belief and looking at, you know, the behaviours that they're having as a result of that and then disputing that belief about being no good and, and aiming for, you know, a more rational approach. So I guess in the situation that you describe, you know, it would be that, yes, they still might be able to recognise the negative aspects of losing their job, but also maybe the positive aspects. They'd be able to look at that as well, that they have, they would have more of a sense of, well, actually, I can help myself and I can do it by doing X, Y and Z. And that they could look to the future more readily with with hope, you know, and and, and their behaviours might be, you know, that they would seek out, you know, reinforcement after after a period of, as you say, being, you know, disappointed and and upset about losing the job. But they can then maybe express their feelings more easily about that loss and talk to significant other people about it. Um, and that having a belief around I'm sad to lose my job and I'm disappointed to lose my job is a much much more sort of rational train of thought and more helpful in terms of uh, behaviours and thoughts moving forward. I watched a video uh, quickly of, of Albert Ellis talking um, before we chatted and something he spoke about was sort of radical self-acceptance and it, it comes back to that quote that I mentioned earlier about being gentle with yourself while striving to do your best. And a big part of that is, um, for example, n- not feeling worthless because, you know, you, just by dent of being, just by dent of the fact that you are alive and you are a, a person, you can't be worthless. So there's a real sort of emphasis, it seems, on separating yourself from from what you do and your actions. So the difference between um, you know, losing a job and being a loser. This seems a really important part of it. Yes, I, th- I think you know in REBT they they use the word being a fallible human being that that we are fallible, and uh, you know that 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 makes sense, right? That that that's realistic. You know, we 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 are going to make mistakes and we are going to get things wrong and we're not going to be brilliant at everything that we do. And and having an acceptance of that and being patient with ourselves, which I, I like that word gentle. You know, in the quote, you know, being gentle with yourself and 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 part of that, I think is 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 
it's you know that word patience I think and being accepting that I can change the way that I think about a situation and embrace kind of all facets of myself even the ones that maybe I don't like as much Mm. um we'll dig into the sort of the types of problematic thinking that, that do cause problems um, but another quick thing I read was the uh, four sort of or three rigid beliefs that people can have, um, deep rooted beliefs that that cause big problems. Um, and if we just quick quickly touch on this, because I did think it was interesting and particularly salient to the world we find ourselves in and the outlook that that seems to be really prevalent. And they are first of all, so rigid beliefs that that are unhelpful. The first being I must perform well and win the approval of other people at all times. The second being other people must always treat me nicely. If they don't, they're awful and basically deserve to have an awful life. And the third being the conditions of life must be must be hassle-free, must be easy, and must be enjoyable. And it's this kind of simplistic and uh, idealistic thinking that is at the, at the root cause of, of a lot of people's discontent. Yes, and I think um, an indicator of that is language that people use uh, for those types of kind of the basic rigid beliefs of REBT. So, you know, the musts, absolutes, shoulds, have tos, go tos, um, that kind of language is characterised by those those rigid beliefs that, that you mentioned. Um, and, you know, generally, if people are adhering to those rigid beliefs, you know, they, they tend to hold one or more extreme beliefs. And those are um, what in REBT are called awfulizing, low frustration tolerance and uh, depreciating thinking. OK, let's let's get into those mm. four then. So um, why don't we start with um, awfulizing, just because it's an interesting word and, and, and more uh, more commonly, perhaps now known as catastrophizing. Yes, I think I probably tend to use the word catastrophizing uh, more than awfulizing. So in, in REBT or smarter thinking, that that's when something is is deemed to be 100% bad, um, that, you know, it's the worst thing ever. You can characterize by language like that. You know, it's absolutely, truly awful um, and it's no good. So I'm sure that, you know, people listening can, can, can resonate with some of these because you, you you tend to hear people talking like this a lot of the time. You know, me, we sometimes say that ma- making a mountain out of a molehill, but um, that we do embellish, we do use words that, that that make things maybe sound worse than they actually are. So that, yeah, that's awfulizing. So how, um, would you, how, how would you spot someone then or how would someone spot if they are, you know, being catastrophizing or, or awfulizing? So characterized by language, like it's the worst thing ever. It's just, you know, I, I can't, I can't, you know, I can't stand it or bear it. Um, it's the worst thing in the world. It's absolutely. It's a disaster. Yeah, it's a disaster. It's absolutely devastating. You know, and and sometimes, you know, when, when I work with clients, I might say to them, you know, I, you know, I'm interested that you use the word, you know, devastating or um, the worst thing ever. You know, if 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 you switched on the news and listen to a certain story, would you describe that as devastating? How's that in the same way? And I look at um, how people kind of rank um, themselves. I mean, I do this in sport, obviously, and, and then people suddenly think, oh, yes, I'm using the same language to talk about, you know, losing a race as I was to, to talk about, you know, this story that's happening on the news. And actually, that's that's a far bigger thing that's going on in the world at the moment. And it's just it's just the way that you're perceiving it. Um, but but the language that people use can actually kind of elevate their emotions when they talk about it because it's very emotive language. The, the example that comes to mind was um, Annie Vernon and Catherine Granger and the rest of the crew in 2008 who won a silver medal in rowing. Uh, Annie and Catherine, who've been absolutely delightful and kind enough to come on the podcast and, and talk about their experience and, and how it basically it felt something like a bereavement because they felt like they must win they had to win mm-hmm. and it, you know it's quite actually um difficult seeing them up on the podium podium because you could see the anguish that they were in but so i suppose th- that was some unexamined catastrophizing thinking or or this 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 must we must win and when they did and it's it felt so awful, whereas actually winning a, a Olympic silver medal is still a stunning achievement. 
Yes, and I think that, that that's why, you know, sort of this irrational thinking and irrational language can be very common in sport because when athletes are, you know, devoting, you know, all of their time to, to achieve their goals, that, that, that somehow if they're not using this kind of language – it make it, they think it, it can make people think that they don't meet, it doesn't matter so much they, they don't care as much um so so the, the the language kind of shifts into this kind of demand type language and musts and have tos and shoulds and um, and actually that can then um be actually detrimental to their performance because it can elevate feelings of pressure so must shoulds uh, sorry uh, ma- yeah must what was the other one must yeah, should Shoulds, have tos, absolute, okay. absolute shoulds, have tos, go tos. So, and does that fall, that falls under rigid demands? Does it? Yeah, rigid demands. So, so the the, the more rational um, language to use there would be, you know, I would like to, and it might be, I would really like to, I wish to, I want to, I would prefer to. Which hints at that you'd be able to cope with it if it doesn't happen. Yes, because it's not saying it absolutely has to be so, which is what that language indicates. And a simple switch of language like that, to what degree can that change someone's experience of of an upcoming event, whether it be sporting or otherwise then? Just changing from I must do this to I want to do this. How big of an impact can that have? Well, you know, when you're sitting with a client and talking it through, it it, um, it it can be quite hard to imagine. But but I guess having having gone through this process with a number of athletes now, um, you know, I, I really can see the 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 benefit of just a simple changing of one word can have on somebody, which is why I find it so fascinating. Um, you know, athletes talk about getting more enjoyment out of their sport. I would say that's probably one of the number one things that people say, having gone through uh, talking through a framework um, is that actually I enjoyed it more. I didn't have as many feelings of pressure. I was able to appreciate what I was doing more because they're not telling themselves um, you know all the things that they were before. So, um, I, I, I guess the the answer is is speaking to the athletes who's, who have gone through um, REBT and how it's affected them. If I imagine it, if I imagine saying to myself, "I must do something," it, it does have that sense of all or nothing compared to "I want to do something." It, it has a completely different texture to it if you if you do imagine it. So, I do completely understand how you know. It, yeah. It sounds sort of um, it sounds almost hard to believe that a single change in a word could have such a big effect. But just now imagining it, I can really understand how it could. Well, I think also over a period of time, if you're saying it to yourself a lot. I mean, one thing that I particularly notice when people are talking in that way is just body tension. Mm. You know, it's I'm saying it because I want you to really believe it. You know, it really it's I must do it because it's so important to me. And you can see that there's a a tension in the way that they use the words and and in in their body. So, um, yeah, I I think it's very profound um, words (laughs) and um, and and it continues to fascinate me. And um, it is something that I, I want to continue to explore in the future. Absolutely. And tension is not a good thing in performance, whether that be sporting or otherwise. So uh, low frustration tolerance, just talk me through that one. Yeah, so so, so that's, um, you know, thinking where, you, you know, you're telling yourself that you cannot endure a certain situation. You know, you can't stand it type of language. You know, I can't stand it when this happens. Whereas, you know, more rational is, well, you, you can stand it. You're just finding it difficult or you're just finding it hard. But, or you just don't like it much. Yeah. Yeah don't like it much so again you can just hopefully see there the difference between the kind of the irrational and rational type language and then depreciation so yeah so that's or put down thinking i sometimes call it you know it's where um people kind of disparage themselves put themselves down themselves or or kind of life or their situation or other people um their life conditions um and again characterized by by, by language that is of you know the, of putting themselves down so would that be if if you didn't win a race or didn't get a job i didn't get this job therefore i am a loser yes i'm a loser yeah i'm useless um you know this this sort of thing always happens to me you know that kind of um sweeping yeah. generalized sweeping negative yeah. generalizations yeah. about yourself so personalizing the events and, and into oh this means says something about me specifically yeah that's right yeah and I, yeah i was looking at um at iron mind which which you've set up with 
uh, like I said, with Lucy. And, and I, you know, it's got all sorts of exercises that I found really useful and worked through a couple of them myself. And um, I didn't actually realize. So uh, you've done some stuff with Louise Minchin, who I actually hadn't written. Do you know what? I, I hand, hand up here. I didn't realize quite how good an athlete Louise was. But so you had a, a video on there where she was saying things like, um, what was it? I think she said, um, swimming's the only thing I'm good at. And and she talked about being sick with nerves. And it, you encouraged people to sort of notice the language that, sh- that she was using. And it's, I suppose it's easy to let that, that kind of language sw- slip by and not really pick up on it. So how important is it and and how easy or difficult is it to, to actually spot this kind of language that we use in our heads or out loud that, that's going on and having a big impact on us? Yes, I mean, we, we you know, we were fortunate to have some um, triathletes who, who were willing to come and, and, and talk to us about, you know, their sort of psychological experiences, I guess, and, and be able to use them in our mind. Um, but but they, they were good for illustrating, I guess, examples uh, of what, what we were talking about in the videos. Um, you know, there are a number of different ways um, that, that 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 I noticed this language, ma- mainly by listening um, to, to 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 people when when they ha- I have sessions with them. There are also some kind of inventories, questionnaires that you can do to assess um, those the four different irrational beliefs that we have talked about, um, and you can look and 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 see which areas. I mean, generally, people actually have thinking in all four of the areas that we've just talked about, but you you may have, you know, more of a, a kind of incline towards towards one or another one. Um, and um, so, yeah, and, and through questioning of people um, and, and, and finding out what 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 it is that they're wanting to work on, uh, what what the issues are, and 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 using those those three forms really, um, I can I can then sort of assess whether I think um, REBT would be a suitable intervention and course of action to take an athlete through. In terms of what I suppose I was um, getting at as well is how easy it is for us to have this stuff going on and just not being aware of it at all how easy it is to catastrophize about a situation without realizing we are catastrophizing how easy it is to have rigid demands of of our lives and our future without sort of understanding that that's what we're actually doing so how easy do you think it is for the for the individual not not necessarily someone that you're working with just generally um how easy is it for these kind of things to pass by unnoticed Oh, I think they absolutely can pass by unnoticed. You know, pe- people, you know, are busy in their lives. They, 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 they carry on and can just react to things. Um, it, and you de- tend to form habits in the way that you react to things and the way that you manage and, and you deal with things. Um, you know, I, I guess when it starts to become problematic, that's ten- when ten- people tend to, to feel that there is something that, that's not right, that's something that they want to work on, that that actually can then be people's first inkling that maybe it's the way that they're thinking about something but but they don't actually can't, can't quite identify what it is that's causing the distress um which is why you know uh, being able to take people through a process um of kind of discovery i guess um and and self-awareness is is really the first step to to really understanding the type of thinker that you are so I did one of your exercises and um took myself back to London 2012 I was the sports reporter for Radio One, but on Super Saturday, I was asked to do a live broadcast for Five Live. And basically, obviously, Jess Ennis, um, Mo Farah, Greg Rutherford won golds and everything was just building up and this tension was building up. But I was outside of my comfort zone because I hadn't done a, a live broadcast for Five Live at that point. And in the end, sort of hour leading up to to when I knew I was having to go on air, I'd had this anxiety building in my stomach and that I hadn't perhaps experienced in that way before. And I sort of tried to shoo it away and I tried to ignore it, which definitely doesn't work when it comes to those kind of things. Um, and, and it sort of grew and grew and grew. Anyway, eventually I did the broadcast and it was absolutely fine. But I, going through the exercise, I, I went back and I re-examined that and you know, I, I think um, I had beliefs around, oh, I, th- I must do this perfectly. Um, and then, the you know, I had catastrophizing around, oh, goodness, I'm going to, you know, swear on air or whatever it might be. Or And, and I was thinking, oh, 
you know, I, I, I can't stand this feeling of anxiety. And then, you know, if this goes wrong, then, um, you know, it says something about me as a broadcaster and as a person. And I really noticed, so I had four, all of those things. So rigid demands, catastrophizing, low frustration tolerance and depreciation going on in that moment. But at that time, it was a while ago now, but at that time I had no idea any of that was, was going on. So, um, yeah, doing that exercise, I, I personally sort of found it very, very useful. I mean, have you, have you ever sort of done it? Have you gone through this stuff yourself and, and do you still sort of catch yourself at times um, having this kind of thinking? Do you know, all the time, <laughs> all the time. And, and although I work, I, I work on these things on a daily basis, uh, I, I am constantly um, having to, to pull things out of my toolkit to, to, to help myself. I mean, just one example is, is even coming on your podcast, Simon. I mean, you know, you, you told me earlier that, that Chris Hoy was the last person you spoke to. And of course, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, all these people are going to want to listen to Chris Hoy. And why on earth would they want to listen to Helen Davis? You know, um, I, you know, I think we, we all have feelings of self-doubt, um, self-doubt. Is, is is a natural part of any kind of you know performance or any part of of life and um you know how we how we help ourselves in those situations um are things that I draw upon from my work in psychology all of the time um you know I'm, I'm never you know there's always something to learn right there's always something to get better at and um and how you deal with situations um helps you for the next one and, and, and moving forward so um yeah, and I really do genuinely mean it when I say um, REBT has helped me enormously. Um, I had a bit of a, a kind of moment where I had had a really rigid demand about a time that I wanted to achieve in swimming. This is back in my early 40s as well. I just had my three children and I thought, right, I really want to swim sub 30 seconds for 50 freestyle. And I that, that was my goal. And I kept saying, I must do it. I must do it. And I kept doing 30.2. And then I did 30.1. And uh, it came to swimming at Sheffield, which is the national champs. It's a fast pool. I thought, right, here we go. This is going to be my day. This is the day I'm going to do it. And I went 30.02. Right? 30.02. And I, I, cry, I cried. I burst into tears. I thought, I can't believe it. I've worked so hard. I've done all this. And I had this sudden moment of, do you know what? I need to change something here. I really need to change something because I love this weekend of swimming and here I am in tears, you know, those two one hundredths of a second. If if I'd have gone quicker by three one hundredths of a second, I would have been elated. <laughs> and um it, it that was a real moment for me. And and REBT actually that that it really helped me with that situation because I really recognised that I had been very, very rigid in my thinking. I've been totally outcome focused. And um yeah, it's funny. I, I I changed the way I yeah that that was kind of right at the beginning of of uh, my master's degree, so I hadn't learned very much at that stage. But it was a real moment and an example that I then used um, of how I could then think about it and uh, and approach it differently. Yeah. So that was just going back to that quote of Albert Ellis's about being gentle with yourself. So be gentle with yourself while striving to do your best. So you were striving to do your best, but at that point weren't particularly being gentle with yourself, which is a very, very common thing. Absolutely. I I, I certainly wasn't being. Um, and actually, I, it, it, it's, a, it's a good ending to the story in terms of when I did start looking at it differently and I was being gentler with myself and I took the pressure off myself, I then went twenty nine point nine. Of course you did, but this is the this is the irony of it, isn't it? It's such a paradox. It's it's so often the case, you know. Once you sort of let go of trying to control and um, mm. and, and let go of the tension, actually, what what you're seeking comes to pass. It, it's um, one of life's ironic paradoxes. And 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 you said that you know you still have these these feelings. And and fun enough, you mentioned, you know, Chris Hoy, and he said, you know, self doubt is is totally normal. And he had it all throughout his career still does. So having feelings of self doubt and have these thoughts come up of doubting yourself or thinking things in go bad, they're, they're, they're totally normal. So the work that that you're talking about, and that you do, it, it is it's a, it's a process about nudging yourself forward, you know, being a little bit better than you were yesterday, rather than, oh, I understand it. Now this will never happen again. Yeah, absolutely. Small steps, you know, if I could just shift myself from a two out of 10 today to a three out of 10, what might that look like? What what, what could I do differently? How could I think in a different way? How could I behave in a different way? Um, 
absolutely that that is the process you know um and and the process of continual learning so um I, you know i i certainly you know don't don't sit here and and, and say that i i've got it all sussed at all when it comes to psychology you know um and that's why it's so fascinating because it, it's a moving platform it changes all the time so um yeah it's why it's why it excites me as an area and um yeah, I, I continue working in it. Yeah, I mean, you can. There's always room for improvement, isn't there? And as long as you're just comparing, and actually, that just popped in my mind. Um, watching Lucy and on your videos was early in her career. She would often be comparing herself against other people, but then you know she stopped looking at. She spoke about stopping looking at who she was competing against completely, and was really focused on her own performance. And and the more this process encourages you to be more and more um, sort of intrinsically motivated so you're just competing against yourself so it's like actually what Chris always said it's me v me rather than me against someone else yes and I and I think that 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 word enjoyment in terms of what you do is is absolutely key you know I you know meeting the different athletes that I do that the the deep sense of of enjoyment and satisfaction that people get from their sport absolutely can shine through in in so many different situations in sport whether that be you know a win or a loss or a a high pressure moment that um, it's the key to everything really and the key to helping yourself um, develop and, 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 and move forwards and get better as an athlete. So let's just then paint, a, to, to finish things off, to round it off, a paint a picture of sort of what we are trying to aim for in this in this model, rather than the catastrophizing rigid demands, etc. So it's aiming for flexible thinking, anti-catastrophizing, high frustration tolerance and acceptance. So can you just paint a picture of what that might look like? Yes, well, so th- those are much more. Say the word the word flexible comes in there is is that that that, that rational beliefs tend to be you know give, give, uh, much more logical. They make more sense, and therefore that they they help guide you far better than than, than irrational ones. Um, I would certainly say that um, you know it it can be hard work to, to to get to that point, but having a yeah, as I say, an, an acceptance of them, they can give you more sort of functional emotions, emotions that help you deal with things better, move forwards better, move on from something better. It, they can give you more adaptive kind of behaviours, behaviours that, that 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 take you to a better place than maybe you have been before. So um, it, they, they come through discussions and they do make sense to people, but actually putting it into action can be can be harder. Um so that, that's what you're working towards in REBT is to kind of have a more effective philosophy and be able to dispute the irrational beliefs when they come up and take yourself down a more rational route, which hopefully will, will, will lead you to kind of a happier life. So things like, you know, I want or I would like this to happen rather than it must. This is bad. This is not awful or terrible. You know, you, you may not like a situation, but that doesn't mean you can't deal with it. And and even though you've failed in a particular area, most importantly, that does not mean that you are a failure. That's right, and yeah, all of those things are great examples. Um, they 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 are things that do make sense to people, but it can take people a while to get there. Um, but as we've sort of said earlier, you know, just the change of word can 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 make a difference to that. So for anyone listening now whose interest has been pricked by this, you know, what, what would be a, a first step to um, getting a bit of a handle on, on being catastrophizing or any of these different things? I mean, is it just paying attention to, to the way you do speak to yourself and, and the beliefs that you hold and, and just trying to become more aware of them? Or what would you suggest? I think be, being self-aware absolutely is a first step, you know, um, and, and li- listening to, to the words that you use and your choice of language, also listening to the words that other people use as well and, and, and see how it's affecting you. You know, it, it are, is the way that you are thinking impacting you in some way? And is it positively or negatively? Do, do, does it help you or does it not help you? Um, and I think 
that that can be very difficult to do. Um, and some people can find that very hard. Um, jotting things down, writing down the thoughts that are going on in your head, particularly if you find yourself in a difficult situation, can be really useful because then you can reflect on it later and look back on it and discuss it with somebody else. Um, and you can identify patterns of thinking then, um, you know, over a period of time, if you're, if you're jotting down these your, your thoughts, you can look back and say, actually, I noticed that I do this quite a lot, or I've got a tendency to do this, you know, at a certain time of the day, or right before I race, if it's a competition, um, before I go into work, you know, um, and you can start spotting patterns. And, and, and generally, you know, the, the, the four kind of irrational beliefs that we have talked about um, will, will be prevalent in everybody, you know, um, and, and they will be, it will have more impact with, with, with some people than others. And, it, and it's looking at, is it impacting me and is it benefiting me or not? And then how about this for the key understanding, it just being an ABC thinker rather than an A to C thinker. So understanding crucially that it's not the event or person that's making you feel or act in a certain way, you have to take responsibility and control for it. It's, it's all about your beliefs and perceptions of that person or that event that is leading to the emotional or reaction or behavior. That's right. How, how, you, how you are interpreting the situation and how you are perceiving it. And, and that can take a bit of thought and reflection um, and difficult in, a, in an emotionally charged moment. But, but recognising that, you know, the same event can happen to a, a person, but with this, a different outcome. And that's because we're all different because we have a different belief system and we tell ourselves different things um, and we hold different beliefs from other people, which is why we respond differently. Mm. And I'll just finish with um, that quote, just because I love uh, that quote from Albert Ellis, um, which is just be gentle with yourself while striving to do your best, which I just think is a really, really lovely quote. Anyway, uh, Helen, thank you very much indeed for chatting on Don't Tell Me The Score. It's been a pleasure talking to you, as I knew it would be. And uh, I can't recommend the, the work that you and uh, Lucy do with Iron Mind Enough. I found it really fascinating going through the exercises myself and, and looking back on some of those historical things like the what one I mentioned. So, yeah, just thank you very much indeed for coming on. It has been an absolute pleasure chatting. Thank you very much, Simon. I've enjoyed uh, telling my story. Thank you. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of Don't Turn With The Score. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation. And I would, of course, be delighted to hear your thoughts, ideas and questions. Do get in touch via my website, simonmundy.com. I do really appreciate you listening. And if you could leave a kind rating and review, I would be sincerely grateful. All that remains is for me to say I hope you'll join me again next time. Until then, thank you and goodbye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.